Hello and welcome to another Puck Junk Podcast. Sal Barry here, along with Tim Parrish, aka the real DFG on Twitter. And today we are going to talk about round two of the playoffs, Upper Deck's uh, bounty program, and Goon 2 finally getting a release in the United States. So uh, I think we should start talking about, should start with our conversation about hockey since uh, the uh, round two just wrapped up and round three is about to start. So uh, Tim, you got to be pretty happy about the way that Penn's cap series, Penn Caps, as everyone's calling it, uh, unfolded, or maybe not so happy. How, how you feeling about that? As as numeral uno penguin fan in uh, whatever state you're in, 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 in Indiana, yeah. Indiana, not that far away from where you are. Oh, okay, yeah. This is a sub Chicago suburb, right? Yeah, more or less. Uh, okay, so <laughs> as the biggest Penguins but fan in Indiana, I uh, well, I'm now on heart medication. Because of the, of going get seven games, be, because of that series, mm-hmm. and uh, my doctor thinks I may not have more than six months. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But that was a very, 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 very stressful series. I mean, it was. It it, it seriously was. Every time you thought the Penguins had. They had it wrapped up. Mm-hmm. It's just something happened. I mean, you had the the big controversy with the Crosby hit from Ovechkin and then Niskanen double teaming him and him going down. And all of a sudden he comes back. He misses one game, but then he and it's like, well, did the did the NHL bumble another issue of concussions and head injuries and this that and the other thing and controversy and everything aside it was it was a very exciting series to watch obviously as a fan i love how the outcome ended um i feel really i never i didn't think i would feel this way but i feel for caps fans i really do bad for the caps fans the fan base i feel bad for the fan base and why is that because they they just got dumped on. I mean, it, it's one thing. It's one thing to go and, and not, you know, not not win the big show, not mm-hmm. not perform, mm-hmm. but but at least at least be a contender. Mm-hmm. And two years in a row, your team wins the President's Trophy. They're the best team in hockey for the regular season. Mm-hmm. They have the best record of any team in hockey. And you get beat by the same team twice in the second round. And you haven't made it out of the second round. You haven't made it out. Not only have you not made it out of the second round, you haven't made it out of the second round during the tenure of your superstar player. Right. And you keep fielding or you, you keep putting this team and this product out on the ice and you keep making moves and bringing guys in, you know, they brought in TJ Oshie, they brought in Justin Williams. They, this year, they extremely, now that you, now that you have hindsight and you can look back on, they extremely overpaid for Kevin Shattenkirk. Mm -hmm. You, you put all these pieces in together for a team that 
It was basically designed to win now. It's like win now or else. And they didn't. And, you know, as a hockey fan and as a fan of a team, to have to go through something like that and to have to deal with that year in and year out with those expectations as high as they are and for them to fall flat like that. I mean, it's one thing to go and say, hey, you know, we were playing with house money. We had a great season. You know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good luck. Congratulations to the other team. That's not what happened here. No. That is not what happened here. No. Look at how many hockey analysts and writers had the finals as Chicago versus Washington. A lot. A lot. And that would have been awesome if that had happened, but it didn't. And that's unfortunate. But not only. Right. And, you know, on the Western side, that was over. That side of it was over a long time ago. And now on the Eastern side. Washington's in the same spot they were in last year and Ovechkin probably had his bag head over to the world's that morning Mm -hmm. because I mean, I I was worried going into that game seven, but I'll tell you what, the way, the way the pens played in game six and then the way they came out in game seven, I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it started to look the same. I'm surprised the Caps didn't get once on the board because it seems to be like Capitals fashion for them to have scored a goal with three minutes to go and then lose two to one. You know what I mean? Like, like I felt like the Capitals, like the fact that they couldn't get one goal in that last game, because I mean, think about it. I mean, that would just be how it would be, right? Like the Capitals would score a goal and then there'd be a minute 30 left and it would be the longest minute 30 of yours and every Penguins fan life as, as, the pens just clutch and cling to a lead. Um, but no, they had, I mean, two, a two goal, two to nothing. I mean, with the, you know, Mark Andre Fleury with the shutout. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, championship teams have, I mean, look, we don't have the Montreal Canadiens anymore where I don't know if any team has ever gone 16. Oh, I doubt it, but I'm sure Montreal probably came pretty darn close in the seventies. Um, and you don't have that anymore. It seems like every time you have a championship team, they always have one series where they're really put up against the wall and then they have to, they have to overcome a a giant obstacle. Now, I mean, the Penguins had the lead and the Capitals came back in the series, but you know, still they, 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 they almost let the series get away from them. So, you know, Hey, congratulations to the Penguins. I think it would be fun to see them repeat as champions um, as somebody who, you know, if the Penguins win or they don't win, I'll, I'll sleep either way, but it'd be kind of cool. It would be kind of cool. I think that would be kind of nice, you know, cause we don't really have those dynasties anymore. It's true. And I, I'd love to see it. Like I said, you know, as a, as a Penns fan, you know, born and raised Penns fan, they'd be fantastic. Now, Go back series with them in my lifetime and it'd be awesome to see another one and i think honestly i I, i'm not one of the guys that that's out there saying that oh it's going to be a piece of cake against ottawa because i don't agree i don't think it will be a piece of cake against ottawa i think it's going to be a tough series i'd love to see it end quickly but i don't i don't foresee that happening just because of the style of play that ottawa puts puts out there you know that that trap game that defensive minded game 
it doesn't play well for the speed game that the Penguins have. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to figure out how to overcome that. I mean, yeah, they played in the regular season, but this is a new season. They're going to have to overcome that and figure out and how to solve that really quickly. Otherwise, this is going to get this could possibly get stretched out to seven games too. And then in the West, I mean, I don't know that that one's up. That's a coin flip to me. Nashville versus the Ducks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. You know, the way Nashville has handled the two series that they've played, it it looks like no one can stop them. Mm-hmm. But That P.K. Subban tra- trade is looking really good right now, isn't it? Heck yeah, it is. Heck yeah, it is. I mean, his $2,000 fine aside, I mean, he's 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 stepped big time. Well, $2,000. that whole and- entire team, I mean. And all the distractions from him dancing. Yeah. Yeah, well. You know, it's it's gonna be an interesting series to see how that to see how that actually plays out. But I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see it. But back to my original point, like I said, I'd hate really hate to be a Caps fan right now. Yeah. I, I just I just really would. And here's the thing. You know, not to beat a dead horse, but like I said, that team was built to win now. If you look at their roster that roster is going to get blown up. Mm-hmm. It's going to. Mm-hmm. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, you look course. at who's on there. Shattenkirk was a rental player. Mm-hmm. I mean, his cap hit is like 4.2, like 4.2, 4.2 and a half, something like that. He's gone. You know he's gone. Mm-hmm. Oshie, he's making over $4 million. He's going to get paid somewhere. I mean, he played his cards right, you know, the, the contract towards the end, he had an outstanding year. People are going to look at him and he's going to get paid. He'll probably get five, six million somewhere. I don't see the capital next year. Justin Williams, three and a half million gone. You know, Carl Alsner, probably gone. You know, Winnick, Gilbert, you know, Brad Con- Brett Connolly, you know, those guys, I mean, they're, they're not going to be on that roster anymore. So, you know, you blow, you blow these guys up and you're left with having to sign, you know, your, some of your RFAs, there's a lot of money tied up in, in those, uh, in those unrestricted free agents that are on that team. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, the guy that's going to say, Oh, you got to trade, you know, trade Ovechkin because he's a liability. And all that I'm not jumping down that, that street, but mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know. Well, you can't trade Ovechkin. It's one of those that's things where somebody's going to have to come in. You can't, but you could. Well, I guess if you could trade Gretzky, you could trade anybody, but I don't know. But Exactly. So, exactly my point. So let me ask you this. This is the important thing that I need to know. So this Penguins versus Senators series, are we going to call it the Penators series or the Sanguins series? Because we have pens and sends. Uh, I'll leave that one to the wordsmiths of the world because oh, okay. I have no idea. Unfortunately, Predators and Ducks don't really doesn't really lend itself that well. But now, if the Predators met the Penguins in the finals, we have the Penadors or the Predwins. Can tell I've been thinking about this for some time. Yeah, I was gonna say I, those thoughts never crossed my mind. Nor should it's they. like mel. It's like melding two celebrities together when they're, you know, Brangelina. Right, right, yeah, right. Something, something like that. So. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's the it's the spends. How about that? The spends? The senator the senators and the pens, the spends. 
You get a little bit of both. The Spengators. The Spengators. No. I don't know. But, uh, I, I, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny, too, because you remember, like, a year ago at this time, uh, the, uh, the Senator's owner had that press conference, and he's like, we need to be better, we gotta make the playoffs, and then they fired the GM and the coach, and then, uh, and now here they are a year later in the, the conference finals, I mean, way to turn it around in, in a year. You see that all across the NHL, though. I mean, look, look at the Penguins last year. They fired their coach midseason. Mm-hmm. You know, new coach comes in. They win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, it's mind-boggling how some, a change like that can totally flip a team around. Well, it didn't flip so, the Panthers around. <laughs> well, that's... They also didn't put a coach into the coaching position either, but that's a that's a story we've already discussed. Hey, you know, discussed. If, 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 if Bob Pulford could be the Blackhawks coach and general manager for what felt like a lifetime for us Blackhawks fans, I'm sure anybody can be a coach and general manager, right? Yeah, maybe. Nah, too hard. Two, two very difficult jobs. Um, and I never liked them being the same guy. It's like, you know, I like my separation of church and state, as I used to say, like, when Mike Keenan was the Hawks coach and general manager, if he didn't like a player, he'd bench him, then he'd trade him. That's why the Hawks had so many darn trades in, like, uh, not to go into ancient history, but, like, during Keenan's tenure, I mean, he just basically, like, if he just got tired of a player, they were gone. And I don't know. I think that almost makes it too easy for the coach, but it doesn't necessarily make a better team. True. And, uh, you know, we're in a different, I guess. We're in the analytics era now. So everything has to be. We're in more of an analytics era. Yes. Everything has to be scrutinized to the, you know, to how many eyebrows the player has. And there's people in positions for that. Yeah. You know, they have people hired to to review that stuff and do everything. I mean, look, you know, Gia. Coaches are hired to be fired. That's the old analogy. Mm-hmm. You hire a coach to be fired. Right. I mean, what's a coach's lifespan? Two years? I, if I don't that, know. A consider years. all the ones that get fired. Yeah, consider all the ones that get, get fired Bob quick. Babcock or, or Joel Quenville, it's like eight years, but yeah. But those guys are at this level versus the guys that get hired and fired on a yearly basis. Right. You know, so they offset each other. So, I, I mean, it's probably two, three years, the average lifespan of a coach. But then you got all the other positions, too, like the fake position of director of hockey operations that I think is hilarious. You know, president of hockey operations. You have your GM. You have your assistant GM. You have all these different guys that are all cogs in the wheel that have different decision-making power as to how the team gets built. I mean, here's a prime example. I mean, not to change the subject, but prime example. Who did Buffalo just hire? Jason Botterill. Botterill's a new GM. If people don't know who Jay Botterill is, look him up. He's instrumental in creating the Penguin teams that have existed for the last most 10 years. Right. Because he's the guy that's job was to make sure that the AHL team and the developmental programs were chalked and stocked with players that could play at the NHL level. Mm-hmm. And that was that was pretty much what he was responsible for. 
And, you know, he made his way up through the ranks. I think his last position there, he was assistant GM, I believe, was was his title before he just took this job. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, congratulations to him. He deserves it. But when you look at what he's done, the, the Penguins over the last couple of years have been the most injury-prone team in all of the NHL. They've spent more hours away from the ice. Mm-hmm. Hours with guys that they've lost to injuries. Mm-hmm. And we won a cup last year. They're going to the conference finals this year with lineups that are filled with guys from Wilkes-Barre. I mean, these aren't household names. These aren't players that, you know, are superstars. These aren't players that even really have trading cards. I mean, if you know, if they don't have trading cards, they don't then exist. they're probably not anybody that people know. <laughs> so, you know, but they can bring these guys up, plug them in a hole, and they play like. I mean, they play like they've they've been there the whole time. Well, that's a good system when you have guys that can move up and they 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 fit right in. I mean, that's 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 a great system. Uh, that's great synergy between the the parent club and the minor league club and and the coaching staff and 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 everyone in between. And that's the kind of philosophy and background that Buffalo is getting with Botterill in as, as a GM. So I think it, I think that was a great hire. I mean, I heard they were talking about hiring Bill Guerin, which I thought would have been good too. Mm-hmm. But Botterill's, Botterill's a great choice to be, you know, to head up that team and get them back on the right track. And you never know. may take a year, may take two. It's probably going to mean maybe a year to get into playoffs, but at least a few just to, like you said, if they're going to, follow that Penguins model of, of having players who can step in from the minors and, and, and fit right in, you know, that, that takes a little time. It does, but you know, it starts somewhere. I mean, now that they have him ready for the draft and everything else, I did like your comment though, when they hired him that, uh, that you said, um, asked if Jack knew or not. Oh yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) Did Jack know? Did Jack approve? Yeah. yeah, did Jack approve that? Yeah, that's. I that was kind of funny. Well, yeah, it's it, it it's it's kind of like that though when you have the big superstar player and then you want to make sure that like he likes the coach and the GM because if not, then it's just going to be problematic because then they're going to want to leave. Um, getting back to the the playoffs, so really quick. So, who would you like <laughs> to see if the Penguins move on to the next round to the finals? I don't want to call it the next round, like it's all just another round of hockey. Would do you want to see them? face off against the Ducks or the Predators. I would like a Penguins Predators series because I probably know the Predators a little bit better. Um, but the Ducks, I mean, then we'd have like the Battle of the Birds and that would be pretty cool too. Um, I don't like the matchup versus the Ducks. So if if, if we're talking about the Penguins through on one end and the Western Conference. I don't like the matchup with the Ducks because the Ducks are thugs and they're big guys and they play very physical. Mm-hmm. And you kind of saw a little bit of that with Washington. You know, Washington took the physical track and the Penguins don't play that kind of game. Right. I mean, they will if they have to, but they don't have the guys to get out there and mix it up like that. Yeah, it's not so their style. I'm not. I don't necessarily like that matchup. Um, 
it would be kind of cool to see Getzlo Perry versus Malkin and Crosby. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that because mm-hmm. you know you're, you're talking same same general time era when these guys came into the, yeah. the league, you know, and and Get Getzloff and, and Perry have a cup from early on in their career, mm-hmm. and now you know later on. So that'd be kind of cool to see, but I'd like to play Nashville. I really would, just because I don't know Nashville watch. And I already have fun watching the Pens play, so mm-hmm. I think it'd be fun to watch two teams that are kind of exciting and 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 play a similar, I guess, a similar style of game. Mm-hmm. I think Nashville has a little better defensive game mm-hmm. than the Penguins do, but I put Flurry up against Rene any day, especially the way he's been playing in these playoffs. Well, he might get that. I mean the way they've been playing and I mean just with their you know with Roman Yossi and um PK Subban and uh who am I forgetting uh uh Ryan Ellis and uh and then of course yeah. Rene you know yeah they've uh really good defensive team I mean it's funny too because like when I was playing top skate those were like not Subban because he wasn't in the series one packs but like Ellis and Yossi were like guys that I was just constantly playing and they would just get me like tons of points in, in uh, the top skate um, fantasy games. And yeah. And I mean, obviously they're, they're really good players. Then again, Carlson was another one that was just like uh, another great uh, player or another, another player who had a great season, both from the fantasy stats aspect and then like on the ice as well. Right. So um, the other thing too is yep. they they also have a couple ex penguins on their team too, which be interesting. Right. Like uh, James Neal, for instance. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and Harry Zolnichuk. Oh, the great Harry Zolnichuk. Yeah. He, he's he, he spent a couple minutes on the Pens too because he played for Wilkesbury and got called up a couple games. So. Oh, interesting. I think I got an autograph card of him somewhere, like from like a pack of I want to say it was something like Contenders or something. Like it was one of yeah. those Panini sets. Yeah, I I got yeah. I think I, I think. have a score autograph of him too. Or yeah, I'm pretty it sure was... it was. I think pretty sure it was something like that. Hey, speaking of hockey cards, yeah. so um, Upper Deck, uh, they announced this new thing called the Upper Deck Bounty Program, which makes me think of bounty hunters. We don't need their kind, right? The great line from Empire Strikes Back when you got like Boba Fett and Bosk and all the the cool bounty hunters from the Star Wars galaxy, like, you know, going to track down Han Solo and stuff. Only this this is a different kind of bounty. This is, of course, collecting cards. Um, so Makes me think of paper towels. Paper towels. Oh, yeah, bounty. Right. The quicker picker-upper. I, uh, yeah, I guess that works. Upper deck. Huh? I said the quicker picker-upper deck. Quicker picker-bounty. The quicker picker-upper deck. <laughs> there you go. See, they could do a cross promotion. Wow. You've been thinking of that one all day, haven't you? And this is where you say, nope, um, I'm the just, last 30 seconds. Came I'm up. just that funny off the cuff. So to, to, yep, that's to right. just get those of you who, the, the four of you who are actually listening to this, um, to, uh, <laughs> up to speed. Wow. We've doubled our listenership. Hey, all right. Um, so, uh, 
the Upper Deck Bounty Program is this new program that they're doing. Uh, they have a website set up for it, UpperDeckBounty.com. And so uh, they said they're starting it with their SP Authentic set, uh, their 2016-2017 SP Authentic set, which comes out in about a week. And so what's going to happen is that there's going to be a total of four hits per box. And they said at least two hits are autographs. And the other two hits are these cards, these Spectrum FX cards. So you're either going to get two autographs and two Spectrum FX cards, or you'll get three autographs and one Spectrum FX card. And so if you read, uh, I know Beckett, uh, Beckett Hockey online, they, they had an article about this. And the Upper Deck spokesperson was basically like, well, we're trying to bring more people, like, like the way he phrased it, and, and, and you know, please, please correct me because I know you read that too. But he was basically like saying uh, a lot of people are doing EPAC and, and, and not building sets and just, just you know, grabbing the hits and, and that's it. And we want to get people back into set building. So... The idea is, is if you collect all of these, all 99 of these Spectrum FX inserts that happen one or two per box, so keep track, how many boxes is that, kids? Then uh, you can get the 100th card for free after you get the other 99, and then you can also get a 99 card. Uh, card, I don't know if it's 99 or 100 cards, but it's a gold parallel version of the set for the first 50 people who complete this bounty. Does that, does that sound about right to you? Like just what, what I said from your recollection? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's a hundred card gold set. Okay. Um, like a parallel set edition because you get all 99 of the regular cards gold. And then you also get the the Austin Matthews number 100 gold card too. So it'd be all 100, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, this came out of, this came out of a lot of conversations with supposedly a lot of conversations with brick and mortar dealers about how they're being cut out of the co cut out of the hobby with E cards and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, everybody was complaining and nobody had an answer and, and Upper Deck spent basically the better course of the year trying to figure out a way that they could get people to, you know, buy into some program that, that took the best of opening packs and utilizing something online. It seems kind this of... This they came up with. It, it seems kind of unnecessary to me. Like, actually, okay, let me backtrack, because... Upper Deck sees it as a necessary component to their business. So I'm not going to say it seems unnecessary. It doesn't seem like the right idea. And let me explain why. They said, okay, people are going on EPAC and they're buying cards. And they're just buying the hits, dumping what they don't want, etc. There's no base cards. It's cutting out the dealers. So we need to do something to inspire people to buy cards from retail. Well, certain sets are not going to be sold on EPAC, and at the beginning of the season, Upper Deck announced, these are the only sets we're selling on EPAC. Now, I don't know if they stuck to that, because I'm pretty sure that they didn't announce that 1617 AHL was going to be on EPAC, but guess what? It's on EPAC. And I would have thought that was 
would have been weird. And there wasn't even an announcement for that from what I recollect. All I know is that one day I look at my phone and I'm like, huh, the AHL cards are on EPAC. Because, sure, why not? Because, I mean, it's 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 a pretty cheap product, but that that's off topic here. But I don't see how making... All right. A set like SP Authentic, how many rookies do you get in a box on average? In a in a box? Yeah, let's just let's just just pick a number. What what do you think it's around? Uh, if we're talking regular SPA, in the normal hit count that's in there, you probably get, I would say, two serial numbered rookies, one. That's autographed, possibly two. Okay, exactly. So you. So get... at most, you, you get two base rookies and then two two autograph ones. Okay, but that, that would be at most in one box. A lot of these sets, you would say, have between one and four rookie cards per box, like the higher stuff, like the SPA, XPX, SPGU stuff, like that, right? Yeah, be t- depending on what we're looking at. I mean, sometimes more, sometimes a little less. So why? Yeah would you do a whole other set where you only get one or two of these cards per box? Why not just say, hey, collect all 100 rookie cards in SP Authentic and you can get the the, the bonus card and the gold set. Why would they create an even entirely different set? That's what I'm not understanding. Like, the thing is, is that like guys like you and me, we might buy a box or two of SP Authentic, hope that we get some cards that we want, maybe complete the base set, but we never realistically think about finishing the master set, right? And what I'm saying is, instead of doing this insert set that's 99 cards, why don't they say, hey guys, finish a master set of SP Authentic. We know it seems like an impossible task, but do it and here's what you get. That would inspire people to buy boxes of cards. For me to go, oh, well, let's see if I get two of these Spectrum FX cards per box, I'm going to need to buy 50 to 75 boxes to hope. More than that. Well, if you get two per box, that's 50, assuming no doubles. But if you get one per box, then maybe 100, you know, assuming again. You're forget- you're- well, you're forgetting the other element to the chase here. Uh-huh. These, are, the, the, these aren't just randomly inserted one through 99. These are tiered. So the first 40 cards are the normal ones that you would get. The next 30 are like level one rookies. Like the next, um, I don't know, what is it, like 20 mm-hmm. are level two rookies. Oh, and then the last 10 are level three rookies. And all the rookie levels, level one, two, and three, have a different collation. Like it's one out of 36 packs for the level ones it's one out of 90 for the level twos and it's one out of 360 for the level threes how keeping keeping in mind that the the last one is the redemption one so so upper decks solution to as they keep calling it provide a more interactive experience and to inspire set building is to make a set that's so freakishly hard to complete that it's going to inspire people to build to build sets it's going to inspire people to open a lot of boxes maybe i don't know i don't know who's um look i mean 
you probably like to gamble a little, but you wouldn't play a hand of poker if you knew there was no way you were going to win, right? Like, if you knew absolutely there was no way you could win, you wouldn't play. This People seems like... only gamble because it's possible to win. Right. I don't think... That to me... One in a million is still a chance. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, it's true. Still haven't been struck by that lightning, so... Uh... Yeah, well... You and I both. Right. But, I mean, here, here here's the thing. Does it encourage set building on the periphery? It does, but at what cost? Well, I mean, I mean, you're encouraging someone. Go ahead. You're you're encouraging somebody to what? Open a box, have a complete base set, and three of the rookie cards, a couple of autographs. I don't know if there's jersey cards or whatnot, and then and then a couple of these FX Spectrum cards, right? And then they open another box, and then they get another more or less complete base set a couple of the rookie cards and then this one or two cards that they need. I, I don't, okay. I don't, I don't see how this, this can work. So please enlighten me or how this can be a good thing or, or how people would want to do this. It's not, it's not going to be the, the typical set collector okay. or set builder. Like we traditionally think of that's going to go after these. It's, it's going to be those guys that are the hit chasers that are going to put these together because there's no way just said there's no way without busting not just multiple boxes, but we're talking multiple cases of these things in order to come up with enough cards. So there's going to have to be trading. There's going to have to be third sales. You're going to see these things all over eBay, probably getting a pretty high premium, especially for the rookie cards. Mm-hmm. You're going to see them on, you know, the various sites being sold third party. And that's going to be the only way that people are going to put these together. Because whereas I understand the idea is to try to take the traditional, I don't even know if the traditional is the right word since this is a new thing, but take the pack purchaser, mm-hmm. the guys that are just buying stuff online. And if they want to be, involved they're going to have to turn around and go to their local hobby shop assuming they have one or go to the online retailer where they can purchase this from in order to have a shot at these other cards and i think that's that's the idea that they had i'm interested to see how this works in real life Mm -hmm. i want to see how fast those first 50 hundred or those first 50 gold card sets disappear because apparently on the site, they're going to have a, a countdown clock mm-hmm. that shows how many are left mm-hmm. as they start to be redeemed. And with as, I mean, we've seen it with EPAC, you know, there, there's, since they check out my cards and everybody cashes in the card and moves them over to their account to sell, we've seen how those accounts go from having zero to having hundreds of a card that you wouldn't have expected to see a dozen out of regular boxes. Right. So I'm going to be interested to see how quickly these actually get redeemed. I I won't be chasing them. I will tell you that right off the bat. No. And you know, what's funny is that like (laughs) I tried building, I want to say I tried building SP authentic 
the 1011 SP Authentic set. And then I'm still working on it. I mean, it's just one of those sets where every now and then I'll pick up a couple of cards. A master set? A master set, yeah. Okay. Tried doing um, 1011 SP Authentic, 1011 uh, Artifacts. 1011, actually, I really like 1011 Artifacts, getting off topic here. But 1011 SP Authentic, I think what it was was when they had the National in um, 2011 in Chicago and Upper Deck was doing their redemption program, one of the things that you could buy to get the redemption packs was SP Authentic. So I looked at all the other things. They're like, well, you could buy this. And I'm like, well, I already have a complete set of this. And they're like, you can buy a box of these for whatever and get one redemption pack. And I'm like, no, that sounds really terrible. And then it's like, well, you could buy a box of SP Authentic and then get like four redemption packs. And I'm like, well, that sounds pretty good. So I think I ended up buying... uh, couple maybe like four boxes of sp authentic that year and it was a you know and i get it that you try to get people to buy stuff they wouldn't normally buy and you know for the most part i've liked their their uh redemption programs so i don't mind buying some cards to get some other cards that i want and and that works out but like i mean and granted i haven't been trying like like it hasn't been my main focus trying to finish that set, but I mean, it's just like, you know, every now and then I'll come across a card for a quarter or a dollar, or I'll be buying from somebody on the Beckett store or on COMC, and I'll say, oh, cool, they have two cards that I need from 1011 SP Authentic, and, and I'll buy them, and that's just how I've been doing it, and I just, like, and even this is a hard set because, you know, you had cards that were limited to like 2,000 copies, and there's just not a lot of them out there. So maybe in a way with, with the higher end people uh, opening these boxes, maybe that'll push a lot of these other cards that are limited to 2000 copies, you know, into the secondary market. That was the 10, that was the Taylor Tyler set, right? Yeah. Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan. Yep. Okay. Well, some of those rookie cards were exchange cards too. I know the PK Subban was, was it? You could, yeah, that was, was those were scratch or uh, redemptions. You could only get that through Redemption. I think the Cam Fowler one was too. So unless you can find people that have cashed in those Redemptions, which I'm sure hundreds of them are still hiding in boxes on shelves places. Well, and they're expired, and an upper deck uses those Redemptions in other ways. Like the one time I was supposed to, I think it was like 2012 or 13 or 11 or something like that, I... I was supposed to get a Patrice Bergeron card that was autographed and had a jersey swatch, and um, they couldn't fulfill that request. So they sent me a 2007-2008 Tuka Rask rookie card from, I want to say it was from SP Authentic, that was autographed. And I was like, hey, that's that's, dude, that was a a trade-up, man. I mean, that was awesome. I mean, I was like... I was like ecstatic about that because when you go, okay, I got a, I'm getting a Patrice Bergeron uh, game used Jersey card with an autograph. You're like, all right, that's cool. He's a good player. He's a good guy. But then we are like, we're sorry we couldn't fulfill this. So here's this Tuka Rask rookie card that at the time was already like five years old. It was one of it was like his good, it was worth more than his young gun, but probably not as much as his cup rookie. But it was like a, at the time it was like right. a solid $70, $80 card that obviously was a redemption that like never got cashed in. So they just, you know, grabbed a broom, sent it to me. And I was, 
I was happy with that. So I mean, those th- those things do find their way out there. They don't they don't just languish forever. They're upper decks not in the business of warehousing cards. Well, and the other good thing is, at least it was one of the, one of the very few brands that I don't hate. So that's good. Yeah, who can hate but, him? I mean, anyway, why would yeah. why would you be mean to a Hobbit? You can't exactly exactly. Right. Um, I'm going to have to look at your list and see because I think I might I might have some of that that you need. I'll have to take a look. Oh, SP Authentic? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I opened a few boxes that year, too. Mm. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was an all right set. But um, another thing about this Upper Deck Bounty program, I find this funny. So, like, the backs of the cards that you get, the Spectrum FX cards, there's a scratch-off area. And you got to scratch off the back. Yeah, like a redemption code or something. Yeah. So it's funny because they're like cards that you're supposed to collect. But then they also have like an area that you scratch off. And that reminds me of the terrible 8081 top set where you had to scratch off the... There's like a black puck on the front. You had to scratch it off to reveal the player's name. And so the question is like, are those cards mint if you scratched off the name? No, probably not. So are the Spectrum FX cards. I mean, the idea is you don't scratch off the uh, the whatever you call it on the back, the silver foily stuff, until you get all 99 cards. Then I guess you just sit down, scratch them all off, enter in all your codes, redeem for the 100th card, and maybe the, uh, the gold set. I don't know. It's one of those decisions you got to make to scratch or not to scratch. No, I mean, I mean we're back to 90, 96, 97, 98 when they made cards with the peel crap. You know, do you peel it off or do you not peel it off? Oh, you know, the member like on finest and oh, on select and all of that. Peel it off. It's it's a freaking it's a freaking clear stick. I don't think you peel it off. Do you peel it off? Hell I don't yeah. think that's a clear cut answer right there. No, I, I because you because what? You submit that stuff to like to be graded and stuff like that. I don't know that it's going to get the same grade with it if peeled off. If you're sending a ninety six, ninety seven, whatever, <laughs> that's Rush, a different question. Yeah, I know what you you're to, getting at. You that's need to get your question. head checked if you're sending in that that stuff to get to. Uh, um, although I'll tell you this: if I do get one card graded, like I'd love, I actually, if I had money to burn, like literally money to burn. I would just send in the most obnoxious trading cards to get graded. I would, I would have like, I would take like a pro set Wayne Gretzky card and I'd like fold it in half. So it was creased and I'd fold it back the other way and then I'd fold it the other way so that it's like creased in four quadrants. And then I would send that to uh, Beckett for grading. Oh, like a wallet card. Yeah, I, I guess only this would be graded. So you couldn't really fit it in your wallet comfortably right i mean it'd be more of like a purse card right or or maybe you punch a hole in the top of it and then like put it on a chain and wear it around your neck or something can that can we make that a thing yeah once it's it's, once it's slabbed away in that card coffin then yeah you can do pretty much anything with it yeah so it becomes indestructible at that point you slab the card but you get like a really horrible you get a worthless card slabbed but not only a worthless card, it has to be a worthless card that's beat to shit and then get it slapped. Because that would be hilarious. There you, go. you know, like, oh, check it out. It's a 91 Pro Set um, Tom Chorsky card that's, uh, it, 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 corner's been uh, torn off and it's, it's creased. And some kid drew a mustache on him and I'm getting that graded. And it, it, 
to get a BGS one, but that's okay. It's it's because it's graded, so it was worth a penny, but now it's worth two pennies. <laughs> well, I think they'd be worth less. Yeah. Yeah, probably. You know, it's funny because like I see a lot of I see a lot of people sell graded cards, and I, I just don't even look at them. But then I think like one time, like I saw somebody like had a graded card, and I said to myself, "Oh, too bad that card is graded because I need it for my set." It was like a '70s OPG card, and I like walked away, not even thinking, "Dummy, you could take the card out of the because it was like it was pretty cheap. It was like I don't know." It was like $5 or something, but I probably would have paid 10 for it loose. So I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, I've never cracked one open, but... Uh, They're not... It's not easy. No? It's, it's not easy. No. But it can be done. It, oh, it can be done, but it's not easy. And you got to be careful that you don't mess up the card. Right, right, exactly. Which is why I just usually walk away from him. But yeah, I think it'd be okay. funny. Or like those... Um, like those pro set music cards that I sent to your wife. There's like some, uh, there's like some yes. British pop stars that I never even heard of, and I'm just like, oh, it'd be fun to send this in to get graded because nobody knows who the hell this is. I don't even know who the hell it is, but it would just be funny, like some random like MC Hammer, but like the MC Hammer of England that never made it big outside of England <laughs> or something, and then get that. Actually, I'd get the Vanilla Ice card graded from from the, the pro set music cards. <laughs> The MC Hammer of England. I wonder who that is. I I, I don't know. Um, maybe it's MC Hammer. The way they say it, I, I'm not sure. Um, um, or they probably call them Master of Ceremonies Hammer. You know, because they're more formal. There you go. Yeah, Master. That's of... probably that's probably it. So that's what I would do. I would like totally just troll like the grading companies with just like terrible cards in like horrible condition. Um, it, just cause, just, just cause it'd be funny as hell. Again, this is unlimited money supply, obviously. Yeah. I, I think I would do that before I would be doing this upper deck bounty program where I'm going to just buy hundreds of boxes so that I could get, I could get the hundredth card, which is Austin Matthews. Oh my God. And then I could get a gold set, which is just like the set that I spent, you know, $10,000 putting together. But the cards are gold. Real gold? No, just gold foil. You know what? They didn't say that. They could be real gold. No, because we know that they're putting all their real gold in their coins. In their grandeur coins. Oh, so you. there you go. I forgot about those. Yeah. Wow. You forgot you forget quickly. Yeah. Things that don't interest me, I don't think about. Coin collecting? Yeah, I'm not a coin collector. You don't want a silver I'm prize? a coin spender. Spend some coin. I'm a, I'm a coin spender, but that's that's a different story. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Would I like a Crosby one? I would love one. You got one to give to me? No. And here's the problem: is that at a hundred bucks a crack, and with I was a twenty-five or thirty-five. I forgot how many coins were in the set, but it's just like, so you might get the Crosby, or you might get like the slightly harder to get one but of like John Tavares, right? And then it's like, well, do we get, you know, like, yeah, I mean, you can actually trade those coins on EPAC, which is kind of neat. You can buy them on EPAC, which is kind of neat. And then you could trade them on EPAC. And that's kind of clever because then you can, um, 
you don't have to be shipping them all over the place. They're, you know what I mean? They could, you could trade, you could trade that way. And I think that's kind of a nice idea. Yeah. But who's that marketed to? I mean, really, is that mar- marketed collector or is it marketed to a card collector? Because a card collector is not going to collect coins. And a coin collector is not going to collect cards. Well, they Upper Deck said that they were marketing it to coin collectors, but they were trying to also make it appeal to card collectors because it would be a unique item of your favorite player. Um, of uh, to me, this seems like the, the info on that's advertising these gold minted or silver minted, vintage whatever, and it they're really like not worth anything and they say call now in 1999 and get you one yeah. act now and we'll send you yeah. two for 1999 these are limited print and they come with certificate of authenticity and yada 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 and it's like uh, a week later they're shopping these off on qvc because somebody had the bright idea to sell these weird gold coins that that's what i take these for or on the flip side it's a rehash of Dare I say, Pinnacle Mint. Ah, uh, me and from, James Howard did a great podcast from back about in the late nineties, few years ago, or a few months ago. Okay, so two things. So these are these upper deck coins are actual currency in the Cook Islands, which I think is like off of Australia or New Zealand or something like that. Whatever, right? Which means nothing to you and me. Actual currency. Actual currency in one country. So they. Which which means because coin collectors, hardcore coin collectors, will not collect coins unless they are actual currency in a country. Otherwise, they're just medallions and they don't care about it. Then it's just a keepsake. It's not a real coin because coin in in, in insinuates that it has monetary value to be spent, not just value like oh, it's a collector's item, like a baseball card or whatever. Um, the other thing is that uh, Pinnacle Mint, those are just basically like medallions. Like, you know, you, you bought them, and they, there was a card with the hole, you put the coin in the hole, and then there you go. You've, you've, you've done it. You've done a great job. You put that round coin in the round hole, right? Um, and by the way, the collation in Pinnacle Mint is terrible. I got a... I, Jim Howard got a box and he bought me a box as like a surprise gift and I opened it and like the collation of the coins was terrible. I just kept getting like Steve Eiserman, Martin Broder, Steve Eiserman, Martin Broder. I probably got like five of each of them, right? Like the cards, the collation was good, but like the actual coins was just... So, you know what was funny was when I talked to Upper Deck, I didn't even bring up Pinnacle Mint because it wa- it really wasn't meant to be the same thing. I mean, it wasn't a $3 pack of coins. It was like... Uh, you know, a hundred dollar, potentially a silver or gold coin, silver or gold coin. Real silver, real gold, not fake silver, fake bronze, fake gold. Correct. Like the pinnacle mint were. And I never could tell the difference between the gold and the bronze. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't either, but, uh, you know, well, no, the gold, I think were like impossible to find. Um, I well. don't quite know what the deal is with well then those. i couldn't tell the difference because i never saw the difference right that, that's that's different right yeah so um but i'll tell you this though if i was going to spend some money on hockey coins i would love to get a set of those old shrift coins from the 60s you know what i'm talking about 
they were like, yes. You know what they were like? Remember the 1989 Topps baseball coins? Yes. They were like I those, do. but from the 60s, and they did like a bunch of the players. And I remember um, back in the 90s, we had a my aunt had a satellite dish, and I used to just catch the most random stuff, and. Uh, I'd catch I'd catch hockey games. I'd catch feeds, the feeds of the games. So they w- didn't have the commercials in them. They were just going from the rink to the studio, and then from the studio, then they'd have the commercials be put in, and you know, and they'd be broadcast. Right? These were the feeds. So they were usually like ten or fifteen seconds ahead or whatever. And during commercials, you'd hear like the color commentator and like the the play by play guy BSing, swearing, sometimes making fun of some of the players. Um, and but kind of like the center ice broadcasts are now well yeah but no because you don't you get commercials in those i don't know some of them that i've been watching so anyway there there used to be this network i don't know if they're still around but they were called shop at home and there were these two southern guys and they would be like they would auction these cards on live tv with satellite tv and they'd go, what you want to give, what you want to pay. We got here a Gretzky rookie. This is a near mint to mint 1979, 80 tops Wayne Gretzky. Um, opening bid is $50. What you want to give, what you want to pay. And then there'd be like a long pause. And it'd be like, oh, we have a caller. Okay, okay, we got 25. And it would just, and, and as a kid, I would just, I would watch this. And they almost never did hockey. Um, once in a while, they'd have some hockey. And they had a set of hockey coins, and my aunt bid on the set of coins, and nobody was bidding against her. Like, it got to $80, and then it stopped. And then he goes, okay, $80, going once, going twice. Folks, you know, this is a really great set of hockey coins from the 60s. I mean, it's got a Beckett value of at least, you know, $300. And and then, like, my aunt and I just both facepalm like, you son of a... Mm, right? <laughs> and then and it's like, we have a caller. And it's like, okay, we got $100. So my aunt's, because she's still on the phone, so she's like, you know, 110 And it goes, she's bidding back and forth. Then she kind of thought about it. And then I think she bid up to 300 or 500 and then after that, or maybe 300 and then she stopped because it it was just like, it got to the point where, like, this would have been really cool to have because she watched these players growing up when she was a little girl, so she knew these players in the set. And for me, it would have been cool, like, for it to be in the family because I would have looked at it, but... Uh, we were so mad that that guy just did that. Because, of course, they get a commission, right? You know, I mean, the Shop at Home Network. But, yeah. oh, or not Shop at Home. Uh, was it called Shop at Home? Yeah, I think it was Shop, Shop at Home. And so I would love to get my hands on some of those old hockey coins because those were just cool. And you, a lot of times you had coins of guys who didn't get cards, which also made it cool. Um, like Al Arbor, he had... So there were some years where he didn't have a card, but he had like either uh, a coin or he might have had like some weird offbeat card or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's what, yeah. if I was going to spend hundreds of dollars on hockey coins, I was going to, I'm going to go vintage. 
that's just me though. And they're not real coins. They're not currency. You can't, it wasn't, uh... you can't go to Tim Hortons and get buy donuts with it, but, uh, but they do have Tim Horton on them. So that, that says something. There you go. It wasn't Don West that hosted that show. Was it? I, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I should really, those are always fun to watch. I, yeah, well, wait, no, that was the guy who would just yell. Don West? Oh, yeah. And, like, everything was everything was great and awesome. It was the Jordans! best card ever. And we have Jordans! Were, we yeah. have so many Michael Jordan cards, so I'm just going to yell really loud and, and, and hope that we sell them. I mean, here we have a whole stack of these classic baseball cards with Michael Jordan with the logo airbrushed off of the jersey, and he's batting. <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to retire off this King Jr. rookie. So, yeah, yeah, wow. that was I remember. Um, yeah, those are those are some those are some good times. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, those good times will never come back um, until unless the in order for the good times to come back for, for the trading card market. And this could be a discussion for another day. They need to they need to press a reset button. Like everything just needs to go back to ground zero. And what I mean by that is the fees that the shows charge is a lot of money because they still have this mentality that like it is the nineties and it's not. So if you have a show where the buy-in's a hundred dollars a table, then only the people who sell wax can really make that up or who deal with high-end singles. I mean, people make money doing this. I'm not saying that they can't, but it's so much harder. I mean, if, if, if you, you know, like the Suntime show that we go to, if that's a $400 for a table, uh, you got to sell a lot of cards to, to, to just to make back your table. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is that the card companies need to scale back what they're charging for the products but the problem is is that the leagues to them it's a cash cow so they're what they want is so much more money than what they were getting 25 years ago that that just that inflates the cost of of cards because if a pack of cards was 50 cents in 1989 and adjusting for inflation and everything if you compare a pack of cards to a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk or whatever a pack of cards in 1989 is 50 cents. In today's dollars, they should be a dollar. They should have doubled in price. Instead, they're $3 for a pack of cards, which would have been about the same as a pack of cards being five fifty back in 1989. Now, in 89, would your mother have bought you a pack of cards for $5.50? In 89, my mother wouldn't even buy me a pack of cards for whatever they cost then. Right, and they were so, 50 cents. Uh-oh. No, the answer is no, she would not. Right, exactly. Because in 1989, with $5, you could buy a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, and a carton of eggs, and have money left over. Yeah. So, that's what I mean. Like, there needs somebody needs to press a reset button and say, hey, guess what? People aren't buying these cards anymore. Let's make them cheap. But in order to do that, NHL, you're going to have to, like, reduce the guarantee that you get. Because... This is killing us because now we have to sell these cards for $100 a box instead of $20 a box. So then retail has to sell them for $150 or $200 a box instead of $30 a box. And then that's just, you know, making it spiral out of control. So 
that's what I mean by they need to hit a reset button. That brings up the whole different conversation of at what point does then the product become watered down and then the heavy hitters in the market that keep the hobby mm-hmm. afloat, unfortunately, mm-hmm. disappear because there's no more hit products that they're going to be able to make their money out of. But that's a conversation we could have a whole, like, talk for hours about. Hey, let's let's end with some good news. So, Goon sure. 2, Last of the Enforcers, or they're calling it Goon Last of the Enforcers, but it's Goon 2. It's the follow-up to the movie Goon that came out a few years ago, uh, starring um, Dude, Where's My Car Guy? What's his name? Sean William Scott. Yep, that's it. Dude, Where's My Car? And so... Um, it, it finally has a release date in the United States, which is September 1st, which it came out in March. It's coming out six months late at March in Canada, because it always comes out in Canada first because it's a hockey movie. So it's, it's a small, it's like an indie film. So it's, you know, not going to have like the same release as like a bigger picture, but even still, it's a small Canadian film. It's going to get some play in Canada because of hockey. It's going to be, it was when Goon came to Chicago, it played in one theater for one week and then it was gone. My girlfriend was like, Oh, we should see this. And I said, yeah, we should see this. And like, I just thought, well, it'd be around for a couple of weeks, right? And the movie lasts. It was at the music box theater for one week and then it was gone. So I'm not going to make that mistake this time. But, uh, did you see the first Goon? Uh, I did. Did you like and it? And I thought it was I thought it was a pretty funny movie. Pretty funny movie, yeah. I, it I, was a pretty funny movie. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this next one. Um, just because I like the first one so much. Um, you know, actually, I did manage to track down the book that the first movie is loosely based on. It was it was it's actually the book's long out of print and it actually sells for a lot of money. I found a copy for thirty bucks at a used bookstore. And I thought, 30 bucks? Then I opened up my phone, I went to Amazon, and the cheapest it was at Amazon was like $45. And I said, and then I like just opened a random page and I started reading, and I'm like, oh, this is good. So then I bought the book, and when I read it, I like hung on every page. I, I, I enjoyed that book, because literally, it's average Joe... Who, he's trained as a boxer. He didn't start learning to skate till he was 18 or 19. Like, this is in the book now. So, the basically, the movie just bases, like, the first couple of chapters. Like, really, when he played in the ECHL for a season. Um, that's what the Goon movie is loosely based on. But the, the, the character, or sorry, the, the actual player, Doug Smith, he and his buddies, they would rent the ice at, like, midnight to play pickup hockey and then when they got tired, they would just go to center ice and then they would just hockey fight. Like, they would hockey fight in the gym. Sometimes they would just, like, go to the gym and, like, you know, their boxing gym. And they would, like, put on hockey gear and then they would just, like, grab each other and fight. Like, you know, like, they were pretending. But they wanted to fight on the ice, so they'd rent the ice, they'd play. And then, like, at, like, whatever. When they were winding down, they're like, all right, screw it. Let's just, let's just fight at center ice. So they would take turns, like, fighting and learning how to fight, like, uh, like enforcers uh, did, and so uh, it was. It was a cool book because then he ended up getting a tryout um, because he played in this 
uh, uh, like a summer league that attracted a lot of um, a, a lot of like minor pro players, collegiate players, and like one or two like a few NHLers that like lived in town would play in it just to kind of keep in shape over the summer. And somehow he ended up on one of the teams, so he would just go around and hit everybody and try to fight everybody. And like a scout for an ECHL team noticed him and was just like, "Hey, how'd you like to try out for our team? We could use an enforcer." And and that's how he got started in, in it. And then, you know, every now and then he would just be a goon for hire where like the Phoenix Roadrunners of the IHL would say, hey, our tough guy's suspended. We'll fly you in for the weekend. We'll pay you this much. And he would just, just how awesome that was. Like, so it was, it was really a great book. Um, And, you know, the movie didn't really, I mean, it was inspired by that. Um, And I'm not saying the movie was bad because I saw the movie first and, I could see how the book would have been more of like a biography and not like a comedy, sports comedy so much. Um, but yeah, I'm psyched about this next one. I, I can't wait to see it. Um, I will make sure I don't miss it this time. Yeah, I, like I said, I thought the first one was pretty funny. I, th- the, I can't remember the guy's name. I think they called him the boss. He was the goalie. Oh, okay. Like no, so Leif Schreiber played his character. He played uh, Ross, Ross the Boss Ray. Yeah, and he was. Um, yeah, Leif. Was Schreiber. he the goalie? No, 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 no. The goalie was. Um, I forget the goalie's name, but uh, uh, the goalie was a different it's, character. But he was the one who was like. I'm gonna the say it's been a long meds. time since I saw it. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah so, um, and you know, it's funny because I watched the trailer for Goon Two because I was so excited about it, and now I'm like. Oh man, I wish I didn't watch the trailer because I feel like I already know too much about it. Like everybody's like, "Oh, the new Star Wars trailer," and like, you know what? I don't think I no, I didn't even watch it because I'm just like, I don't care. I'm like, I'm just gonna go see Star Wars when it comes out. Why would I watch the trailer and I'd be like, "Oh, why are the stormtroopers red in this one?" Right? Like, I'll just find out when the movie comes out. But with Goon Two, I was so excited. I watched the trailer and I have no idea of what. Just so you know, Star Wars. I watched the trailer for Star Wars and I have no. Clue what the movie's even going to be about. The Last so, Jedi. There you go. So, well, that's in the title. It is, yeah. But, uh, so, uh, uh, I watched the trailer, uh, and, like, so, um, Glatt ends up needing some training, and guess who trains him? boss huh, yeah right exactly and that's that's exactly what you want to see in the sequel you want to see that bad guy that you love so much become a good guy right like terminator 2 right we loved arnold as the bad terminator but you gotta admit terminator 2 was pretty awesome because he was a good he was still that badass terminator but now he was fighting for the force of good so that was exciting right yes right so in this one so uh ross the boss Ray is going to train Doug who needs to make a comeback for whatever reason. I don't know, plot contrivance, whatever, but that's awesome because he was a, he was a cool bad guy as a hockey enforcer. I mean, he wasn't like, um, you think of like, and you know, I love the movie young blood, but you don't ever really like the character of Carl Racky. He's not made to be a character that you like. He's made to be that obstacle that young blood has to fight, you know, to, 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 to beat in a fight and kind of avenge what happened to his teammate and stuff like that. He's, he's doesn't have a, any 
qualities that redeem him as a character. Whereas with Goon, uh, Ross Ray was like, hey, he's awesome. He's like the toughest guy in the league. And even though he does some things that are kind of shitty, it's, it's still kind of within the confines of his job, right? Like he can, he hits um, Xavier Laflamme and he gets concussed. And maybe it wasn't a clean hit, but right. it was still within the confines of the game. You know what I mean? It's not like he beat up the goalie or something like that. Right. So I think that's cool because it's going to be those two and they're going to be, I mean, and they're not teaming up on the ice. It's not like it'd be another Bash Brothers like from Mighty Ducks. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that one plot point. But like at the same time, I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't know that because, you know. That would have been so cool in a movie like, oh, no way, this guy's in it awesome, right? Like, oh, no way, he's going to help Doug. That's that's awesome, right? You know, like, I, I didn't get that. So after that, I'm just staying off of Wikipedia, not watching any more trailers, just going to wait until September 1 when Goon 2 comes out. I'll be like the only one in the theater. I don't know what jersey I'm going to wear. I got to pick out something obscure. Maybe my sudden death <coughs> hockey jersey. Do you have a Halifax Highlanders jersey? I don't want to pay full price for one of those. Like, I, it still hasn't grown on me yet. Oh, I got it. I got a Thunder Bay Bombers jersey. That's what I'll wear. Boom. There you go. Close, close enough. Actually signed by the man who played Carl Racky. Funny that I said his character was not a character that's necessarily likable, but the actor who played him, awesome guy. Excellent. Excellent. See, so, you always have good stories. I don't. I don't have those good stories. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, I I was lucky enough to interview him for my hockey news article about Young Blood, and um, it was actually kind of funny. I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit. So you saw Young Blood, right? Long time ago. Long time ago, but you know who the bad guy is, right? Like you just you know who I'm yes. talking about, right? So. Uh, Steve Thomas was, was in that movie. He was one of the, um, Steve Thomas and Peter Zezel both played Hamilton Mustang players that didn't have any speaking lines. And so Thomas said that he was on the set of Youngblood, you know, he's at one of the rinks and he sees Racky or he sees George Finn who plays Carl Racky. And he's just like, you know, we fought in junior hockey. We had a fight. He's like, and I'm looking at him and he's got this full beard and I'm just like, oh man, this guy's a scary dude. How, how did I find the courage to fight him in a junior hockey game? Although Thomas was a bit of a scrapper, you know, in the NHL. Um, actually, one of my favorite Steve Thomas fights is when he beats the shit out of Sean Avery. It's on YouTube. It's awesome. And I'll tell you why it's awesome. Because Avery was like a rookie with the Red Wings. And... He probably thought, I'm going to mess up this old guy, because Thomas was probably, like, it was over 30. He was probably closer to 35. He was at the end of his career. It was like one, so he had to be mid to late 30s, right? And I want to say that, like, Avery probably thought, I'm going to beat up this old guy, right? Well, Thomas beat him up in the fight. He was was in his second stint with the Blackhawks. It was a Blackhawks-Red Wings game. And, like... Avery gets turned around and it almost looks like he's trying to get away. And Thomas like grabs him and keeps hitting him. And it almost reminds me of like, you remember like in the cartoons 
when like the characters would fight, but you wouldn't see the fight. You would just see like a giant dust cloud with like fists and feet flying. And then like the one character would try to tiptoe out of the cloud and then you'd see like the hand grab and drag them back into the cloud for, for more of an ass beating. You know what I'm talking about? That was yep. the, that was the Steve Thomas versus Sean Avery fight where Avery was the guy trying to like get out of the dust cloud but he'd get dragged back into it man. It was just it was so lopsided it was nice. funny. Um but so nice. so Thomas talked about fighting George Finn in in junior hockey and then he's like watching Young Blood and he's like you know he's like playing the bad guy and he's like wow I can't believe I actually stood up to that guy cuz cuz he's pretty tough but then George Finn told me, and I wasn't able to fit this into uh, my article, but he said that he said he remembers that fight with Steve Thomas, and he says what caught him off guard about that was that, like in the middle of the fight, Thomas changed hands. He was hitting him with one hand, and then he just he changed it up and he started hitting him with the other hand, and and that threw him off guard because most guys will grab with one hand, punch with the other hand, and Thomas changed it up. So he's just like, yeah, I remember that fight. That was a good fight. He caught me off guard. It was, you know, and, and, and that was, and Finn's job was to, to be an enforcer in junior hockey. I mean, that was his, that was his thing. See, like I said, you have interesting stories. <laughs> I'm just fascinated by these. Uh, I just talked. They're to always of- entertaining. I try. I just talk to a lot of people. That was one good story. Another good story, and this is actually quoted like in, in the hockey news. And again, it was kind of funny because like Steve Thomas was like, well, I don't want to get Rob Lowe in trouble or angry at me. But and then once he said that, I said, oh, God, I have to put whatever he's going to say. I have to put this in my article. Not only did I put it in my article, but like hockey news, like pulled that quote and like made it big on the page. You know, when they do that, they do like a pull quote. So it was like when, you know, so all these old um, Toronto Marley are not old. They were young, but they were the Toronto Marlies. So many of the Toronto Marlies got cast to be either Hamilton Mustangs or, um, Thunder Bay Bombers, and actually the only other team you see in there is the Toronto Marlies, uh, which was the only real-life team used in that movie, like the Marlies themselves. But maybe not all Marley players playing the Marlies, but anyway, so they all know each other. They're hanging out in the locker room. They're, they're getting dressed, right? And then there's, there's Rob Lowe. And the wardrobe people are putting on his hockey gear for him. And so Thomas and Zezel, and they they all just look at each other, and they're just like, "Oh my God, are you serious? You, you got to be kidding me! This guy can't even tie his skates." You know, because they're all like these hotshot junior, uh, major junior players. Uh, I mean, Thomas actually left the filming of Young Blood halfway through because he had to go to Maple Leafs training camp. So, like, if you watch that movie, you'll see him in, like, the earlier scenes, but you won't see him in, like, any of the later scenes because, at you know, because I asked him, like, oh, were you there for the big fight at the end? He's like, no, I had to report to training camp by then. So I wasn't able to be in the closing parts of the movie, but I was in the opening parts of the movie. So, you know, the, the earlier scenes. So I, I thought that was also cool. Um, I remember the director telling me that they used to do pickup games when um, you'd have, they'd have a lunch break, right, for an hour, but everybody wanted to play hockey, so they would they would do pickup games. The the guys who played the players, the guys who played the referees, the stunt doubles, because like you know Patrick Swayze's stunt double was uh, Donnie Biggs, and he he was a uh, he. 
he played for the Flyers for a few games. He was he played a lot in in the minors. Um, actually, a really big player with the Rochester Americans. But um, they'd play, and like so, what Peter Markle told me was that like a lot of the juniors were complaining about Eric Nestorenko because Nestorenko had he'd been out of the NHL for about. 14 years at that point, but he played for 20 years, you know, so he was like in his 50s, he played Youngblood's dad, and they're like, oh yeah, and they're like, oh, you know, because he was hacking and slashing and just giving him a hard time, right, because, you know, he's the old man, but he played in the NHL for 20 years, and then you got all these like... That's that's the game back then. Yeah, and then you got all these 19-year-olds who are like on their way up, and they're probably like thinking, oh my god, it's so awesome to play against Eric Nestorenko, but then the director said, but yeah, the guys were kind of complaining, like, oh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a little too competitive for these, these, these pickup games. And then the wardrobe and makeup people would get mad because like, you know, then the players would be all sweaty after the lunch break. And then they'd have to like fix their makeup again. Cause you know, then they're going to do the scene in the locker room where they're supposed to look all nice and you see their hair and stuff. And, and it, you know, they would, they didn't want you to look like if you were drenched in sweat, if they were going to film a scene of you from before the game starts, right? So since since Rob Lowe couldn't even tie his own skates, I take it he didn't participate in these pickup games. Um, he did, and the reason why I know that this is just this is just gonna you know I'm gonna tell you about this, and you're gonna say, oh my god, Sal, we know too much about you. Um, in Japan, for movies, they'll sell a program. Like, you know, you ever go to a rock concert and they have a program? Or you go to a hockey game and you get a program, right? I remember when I went to see mm-hmm. Def Leppard in 92 for their Adrenalize tour. Um, they had a program. They had a show program that I bought because it was the first concert I ever went to. And so in Japan, they will sell movie programs, like a program that you buy in the lobby at, at the theater. And they made one for Youngblood. And, of course, I bought it. And it had a lot of pictures. It had some of the pictures that you see in, like, the press kits and, like, on, like, the back of the uh, VHS box cover. But then it had, like, a few shots that were just, like, random. And I don't know what they were from. And there's a shot of Low, and it looks like, I believe it's Nestorenko, and it looks like they're playing. Like, they're playing against each other, and it's not from the scene where the two of them are on the ice learning, you know, teaching the father, teaching the son how to fight. So it was a picture from one of the pickup games, and I never would have known that. Like, oh, that's weird. Why is Dean and Blaine playing against each other? And it's because it's from one of these pickup games that they just, they would throw. So who was a bigger star at the time, Rob Lowe or Patrick Swayze? They when were, that came out. They were both up and coming. They were or both, Keanu Reeves, because he was in that too, wasn't he? That was he? the second uh, film role, yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know, because, I mean, the three of them were huge by, like, 1990. So by, like, in 84, right. or sorry, 86, so they were, they were, um, filming in 85, uh, they would have been all on the way up. The thing was, was that it was actually, um, the director told me that a lot of the young stars, the up and coming stars, they wanted to be in this movie. Like 
they they saw it as a good even though it was a relatively low budget couple million like four million dollar film um you know and it was a sports drama but it was um it was seen as desirable like a lot of the up and coming um up and coming actors auditioned for parts so yeah i don't know i mean that was swayze before dirty dancing before ghost um Rob, Rob Lowe before I don't know what else he's done. Not ex- um, not apparently a lot of not not safe for work videos I heard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think on that we should we should end it here because I, I could just keep BSing about um You you, know, you are other- the world's foremost most authority about young blood. Oh, I, I I'm convinced of that. Well, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I'm I'm glad that I'm the foremost authority on something, and uh, you know, we all don't get to pick what we want to be known for. But if I'm known for as that guy who, um, yeah, you know, it's funny. Like when I was like 15, I started like writing a sequel to that movie, like in a notebook. Like I I loved that movie so much. I was just like there needs to be another one. And then I thought about it and I'm like, there needs to be another one and they need to do it now because those three actors are really popular and it would be awesome to make like a sequel to young blood with Keanu and Rob Lowe and, and Patrick Swayze at like the height of the 1990, they were huge. Right. And that was probably the first time I saw the movie in its entirety when it was on cable. Cause I remember catching bits and pieces of it at like watching like, um, I used to watch Siskel and Ebert and they talked about it um, on their show. And I remember watching clips from it there. And that was even before I knew what hockey was. So I was just like, Oh, this movie's about hockey and that guy looks scary and that guy looks wimpy. And, and I guess, I guess they fight. Right. And, and, and that's what hockey's all about. Cause I didn't know any better, but um, yeah, I, I would have liked, I would have, I would have written a sequel and it would have been where um, they're in the NHL. And now Lowe's character of Dean Youngblood would have been a, uh, he would have been a star and his former teammate, Derek Sutton played by Patrick Swayze would be on another team and he'd actually have resentment against him because Swayze wanted to go first overall in the draft, make a million dollars, whatever. Right. But he gets injured from that hit by Carl Racky. He's got the steel plate in his head. His career's over or so we thought. Meanwhile, Dean would go on to play one more year with the Mustangs, become the team's best player, get that, you know, sweet, uh, you know, get drafted high in the first round, get a good salary. And then now he'd have to face off against Derek, who he, you know, and this is where he'd kind of learn like, well, we were friends when we were teammates, but now we're on opposite sides and this is a job. And like, maybe we're not friends anymore. And so Derek would actually kind of not be a villain, but, you know, and it's a drama. So, of course, you know, they'd have to be they'd have to become friends again. Right. Because they were friends in the first movie. So that's 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 how I would have played that out. You know, I would have I would have had Racky in there, too, because you have to have a bad guy. And then I'd have Keanu in there because in 1990, Keanu was, you know, he was he was excellent. Wow, you just described the entire plot line to Goon 2. Really? No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just spoiled the movie for myself. 
So, um, any final words before we, we cut it off? Go Pens. Go Pens. All right. Thanks, everyone.